0: You still doing that sh- Andre? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Check me out. It's still Trey Day. Uh-huh. AKA, uh-huh. though I phone the block. Can't keep it home a lot. Cause when I frequent the spots that I'm known to rock, you hear the bass from the truck when I'm on the block. Ladies, they pay homage. But haters say Trey fell off. How? Last album was The Chronic, they wanna know if he still got it They say rap's changed, they wanna know how I feel about if it you ain't up on pay Dr. Trey is the name I'm ahead of my gang, still puffin' my leaf still Alright y'all, what is going on? This is your man L. Jamal coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place we can say what you want as long as you got them facts. Yes, it's been a while. I took a bit of a break and uh, but I'm back. I'm going to get into an MLB update tonight and also an NFL update. I want to get through the NFL and the MLB Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. Uh, but before we get to that, I wanted to kind of go through all the action from today in the MLB, uh, all the scores the standings. Uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about each uh, each of these teams a little bit in depth. Uh, Again, we're pushing towards the playoffs. I wanted to touch up on the, uh, the the Padres situation as well with Fernando Tatis, and then of course in the NFL, like I mentioned before, I was going to talk about the uh, excuse me the Hall of Fame, and then the of course some preseason action and some other headlines I wanted to get to as well. And then, like I said, it's been a while, so I'm going to kind of ease my way as the days uh, go by in terms of what I want to uh, get all into, but. Like I said, take my time. But, anyways, let's go ahead and get into it with uh, my MLB update. We're going to start off with the scores from tonight, Monday. And uh, first things first, we have the Dodgers here getting it done against the Brewers. Four to zip was the final score. The Dodgers moved to 80 and 34, the best record in the MLB by far. And then we have the Brewers here at 61 and 53. For the Dodgers, Gavin Lux would get a two run home run. Freddie Freeman would hit himself a, a solo home run. And Will Smith, no, not the one that slapped. Chris Rock nah not him but the catcher for the Dodgers, he went on to get an RBI on the mound. Julio Urias would get the win. Thirteen and six is his record on the year so far. He went in for he went in for about five innings last night or tonight, depending on when you're listening to this. Giving up four hits, six strikeouts, and uh, no runs though. Uh, for the Brewers, uh, they would have four total hits, but they were zero and nine with runners in scoring position, leaving six runners on base. That's six opportunities to score, in my opinion. Altogether, really, if you count the runners in scoring position, that's nine opportunities and you had six points pretty much. That's six runs that they didn't get, uh, but Freddy Peralta would take the L here. He's four and three on the season, four innings of work, two hits, one earned run, and three strikeouts, but he didn't get any run support, so you can't get it done when that doesn't happen, so win and loss record. I wouldn't always, you know, lean into that. Look at look at a cat's ERA. Look at their whip, you know, walks and hits per the nine. Uh, look at all that type of stuff. Win and loss, and, you know, it's all reflective on the team around you, to be honest, but moving on, we We had the Chicago White Sox getting an upset, and the reason why I say it's an upset right now against the Astros is because the Astros have one of the best records on the road, if not the best record on the road, and Chicago just happens to have one of the worst records at home for all, at least the playoff-eligible teams right now, so, uh... The worst record at home versus the best record on the road. Somehow Chicago ends up on top. Final score four to two for the Astros. Jordan Alvarez and Alex Bregman will get an RBI, and Rafael Montero takes the L today or tonight. Excuse me. Uh, three hits, three earned runs from him. And for the White Sox, Eloy Jimenez and also Yohan Moncada will get two RBIs each, and Johnny Cueto will get the win for them. Uh, five and five is his current record. Eight innings of work, six hits, uh, just one earned run three strikeouts, and then Liam Liam Hendricks would come up with the save, his 26th of the year. You know, see, the difference here is, you know, Chicago, you know, for Chicago, Johnny Cueto, he gave up a run. He had, a, you know, he had a few Ks, gave up a few hits, but again, his his team gave him four runs, you know, for, you know, the Brewers, unfortunately for Peralta, you know, zero of nine, you know, with runners in scoring position, just four hits. That's not going to get it done. Just a kind of a difference to kind of you know see just to kind of show you this is what you know this is what this is what happens <laughs> pretty much. Up next we have the A's. Uh, they take another loss here to the Rangers, two to one. The Twins they get a win here, much needed win here because uh, they are they are somewhat in the AL wildcard race. Uh, they get a win here, four to two, uh, four to two against the Royals. And then uh, we have the. Uh, the biggest upset, in my opinion, of the night, we have the Braves getting a blowout win against the Mets, 13 to one. For the Mets, Ricardo, sorry, Eduardo Escobar brings in the only run RBI, and they uh, they struggled with runners in scoring position uh, with runners in scoring position as well. Just one for five. They let seven runners on base again. That's seven runs. You know, if that's it. You know, uh, that's. I mean, that could have sworn the game kind of either way, depending on you know when those runs came in. Uh, but again, Carlos Carrasco, no excuses. They're the best team out there. One of the best teams out there, but Carlos Carrasco takes the L. He's 13-5 and on the year. Two innings of work. He gave up three earned runs, including two home runs, so they pulled him, uh, but it, it would only get worse. Adonis Medina would just only go for about an inning, give up five earned runs on five hits, so all bad. For the Braves, it was an offensive explosion. Travis are9 would get a three-run home run. Wilmer Contreras, also Eddie Rosario, would get home runs. Ronald, Ronald Acuna Jr. and Das, he's Swansby would get three RBIs each. And on the mound, Spencer Strider would get his seventh win of the year. Five innings, three hits he gave up, but only gave up one earned run. And he also had four strikeouts. Uh, moving on, we got the Orioles getting it done against the Blue Jays, seven to three. The Rays, they get an upset win against the Yankees, four to zip. They move to 61 and four, uh, 53 on the year. The Yankees are 72 and 44. For the Rays, Yandy Diaz will get you two RBIs, and Jose Siri, uh, one of their recent trade acquisis- acquisitions, excuse me, gets them an RBI. And on the mound, Ryan Yarbrough gets his first win of the year. He is just one and seven, four innings, three hits, no earned runs, but 6 K. So again, he wanted to definitely get that win and he got it done. So good luck, good luck on him. Uh, for the Yankees, just seven total hits. Again, it's a pattern, you know, usually when you come up short like that, when it's within reasonable striking distance like this, four, three to four runs runs like this. Uh, they seem to, teams seem to struggle, of course, with runners in scoring position. One for five uh, tonight for the Yankees. Garrett Cole, unfortunately, takes that L because there's no run support because uh, he had a good start. Uh, he's nine and five on the season. And uh, last night's or tonight's game, depending on when you're listening to it, he would just give up five hits, uh, have one earned run, but he would also have six strikeouts. Now, uh, this is a this is a cold fact about the Yankees right now. Uh, they're starting to lose a little bit of steam. They are seven and 13 in their last 20 games and it's the first time they were shut out in back-to-back back-to-back games in about over six seasons now this is their 10th straight shutout loss of the season on top of all this so again they've had their highs it looks like they're having a little bit of a low right now Uh, hopefully I mean I believe in them I think they have enough talent to do so Uh, and I think they're you know they're at a decent spot in terms of games back for the other teams that they can you know they can have these little you know slip-ups I think they have enough talent to kind of see them through. But for Tampa, they are now tied with Toronto for the second place spot in the AL East. And then of course they are pretty much tied with Toronto for the second place spot in that wild card as well. Up next, we have the Nationals. Uh, sorry, the Marlins. They take a they, they get an upset win, excuse me, over the Padres three zip. Uh, the Nationals, they get a win here, a surprising win over here uh, against the Cubs 5-4. And then we have the Phillies, they get a win against the Reds 4-3. The Giants, they get them to win, trying to stay relevant in that playoff ways, a race, excuse me. They get a win against the D-backs, 6-1. The Tigers and the Guardians have a doubleheader. And for some reason, the Guardians, knowing they need to hold on to a playoff spot, no, well, knowing they need to hold on to their divisional spot right now, they decide to split the series. Uh, they win the first game 4-1 against Detroit, but they lose the second 7-5. I don't get it. And then to cap-off the night, the Mariners get it done against their AL West rivals, Los Angeles, again, as a disclaimer, I'm not calling them the angels because Los Angeles means the angels, y'all, okay, so that's redundant, I'm not using of Anaheim, Uh, fuck all that, Los Angeles. They get a win, 6-2. That's how we wrap off the night. Let's look into the standings. We're going to start off in the AL East like I normally do. With the Yankees, they are 72-44. and uh, We mentioned about their recent struggles. The two things they have going for them is that they have the most wins at home and the most wins against 500 teams at 41. Nobody's matching that just yet. Uh, I think, actually, uh, the Mets are about 40 games, you know, against teams above 500. Uh, so you have, a, you have one other team kind of in the mix. To that, but that's what they have going for them right now. They can win at home, of course. They are hosting the Rays right now, so there's a good chance that they, you know, they get their bearings right within this series. I mean, it's it's more likely to because of those stats, but again, you, you, you never know because they really kind of weren't supposed to lose tonight, you know. reality uh but for the Rays, they are 61 and 53, 10 games back, 6 and 4 in the last 10, three straight wins. uh They are struggling away from home, so that you know who knows how the rest of this series goes, uh, but they are 26 and 31 away from home, but they have a great thing going for them. They're going to be having three guys coming off of the DL, including Harold Ramirez, Emmanuel Morgo, and of course Juan Uh, He, I believe he was a rookie of the year at some point, if I'm not mistaken, but really great offensive player about a year or so ago, so he's going to be back in action as soon as Thursday, uh, and that helps them out pretty much offensively because they're 25th in that department, at least in Team OPS, but one thing that's keeping them in the mix everything is their pitching they are uh they have the third best team era in uh major league baseball right now and they have the seventh uh, they are seventh in terms of batting average allowed at just a 234 so pretty solid there uh moving on we have the blue jays at 61 and 53 three and seven in the last 10 back to back losses uh that they're coming off of and they are also 30 and 41 against teams above 500 of course their last game was a loss against baltimore so they're trying to get things right uh again i I like how I think the AL East was probably the only division I was right about with the Yankees being on top and but then everybody outside of that being non distinguishable I that's hard. I mean, I, I, with the exception of the Orioles being as good as they were, I thought it would be you know the the Red Sox within this position, but they're all within the game of each other. You can't really see a difference between these guys. They're either three and seven in the last ten, or four or six. Uh, so it's a, it's a little bit hard. Uh, the Rays actually are on the uptick. Like I said, I, I miss I misworded that they are six and four. Uh, but the Blue Jays are three and seven. The Orioles are kind of in the same mix. They are six and four in the last ten, but again their record is sixty and fifty five. So they're all in the mix right now, and in terms of that wild card, those three teams that I just mentioned, the Rays, the Blue Jays, and the Orioles, are active in that race, so uh, behind them, though, we have the Red Sox, 57 and 59, 15 games back, 4 and 6 in their last 10, negative 32 run differential, which is the worst in the division, and you know, of course, they're bringing up the bottom of the division, that isn't, that's no surprise. They also suck at home, 29 and 30, which is, you know, in my opinion, should be uncharacteristic of any Boston team, because again, all they talk about is their home field advantage and Fenway this, Fenway that? They should be having the best record at home every year. But again, I digress. Let's move on to the Central. We have the Guardians here at 62 and 54, 8 and 2 in the last 10, 30 and 28 against teams above 500. Uh, but with that being said, they, like I mentioned, they split that, ser- That split they double. S- double header excuse me they split their double header with the Tigers uh, recently and of course uh, they're actually just nine and eight on the year against Detroit so they're barely they're barely you know breaking even against the Tigers one of the worst teams in the league and yet they're fighting for a playoff spot. That's just kind of just to give you some perspective right now about the AL Central. It's a little bit weird. Uh, but they are 8th in team batting average. uh, Solid in that department. Uh, 253, I believe. They're they're close to a top 10 team in uh, team ERA. I believe around 12th uh, at this point in the year. So we'll see what happens with them. But, they, I mean, again, they're winning the game that they need to within their division and that's kind of keeping them alive Uh, they also like I said have a winning record against teams above 500 but moving on we have the twins here at 59 and 55 two games back four and six in the last ten behind them we have the Chicago White Sox who still uh, maintain some type of relevancy in this race I don't know how they do it six and four in the last ten four straight wins including that upset tonight over Houston they have four games they are four games above 500 for the first time since they were Six and two in April. Damn. Wow. Uh, let's move on to the the Royals. They are forty-eight and sixty-nine. We have the Tigers here. I don't know how, why I was so high on them going into the season. But I was dead wrong because they are dead last, 47 at least in the division, 47 and 74, 19 games back, 2 and 8 in the last 10. Need I say more? Moving on, we have the Astros. They are 75 and 60, sorry, 75 and 42, 6 and 4 in the last 10. Uh, we they are 30 and 28, sorry, 32 and 18. I don't know where I got that from. 32 and 18 against teams above 500. So. Things are going in the right direction for them. We'll see how this uh, series with the White Sox pans out. Behind them, we have the Mariners, a well distance behind them at 63 and 54, six and four in the last ten, 32 and 28 away from home. Uh, Behind them, we have Los Angeles, 51 and 64. We have. Oh, we have the Rangers. Oh, sorry. Uh, before Los Angeles, we have the Rangers. 52 and 63, 22 games back. One, negative one negative run differential. 26 and 32 at home. They can't even win at home, but of course, they spent over $300 million in the offseason. Spending money don't always work. If you're not the Dodgers, obviously, hey, it didn't work for them. And of course, at the bottom of this division, we have my team, the A's, 41 to 75, 33 and a half games back, nine straight losses, 388 runs scored, the worst. We are last placed in that stat. We're last placed in a bunch of different stats. We recently traded away our closer and one of our starters for for prospects, two pitching prospects. One of them might start. Uh, at some point this year, maybe. Uh, they're probably going to be a day-one starter, though. If not, we have another pitcher that's going to go to A, And then we have an infielder who's probably going to go to A. So, again, just, you know, destroying and rebuilding. That's the story of the A's every freaking two, three years when we don't go past the first round or something. I don't know. And then, by the way, uh, some casino owner was out here talking about, well, pitching an idea for a safety still. So we had that going on. The city of Oakland just came back from the summer recess. So now to, to talk about the legends for Howard Terminal. So we ain't out of the, the ballpark just yet. But, man, I'm going to try to stay positive, y'all. And speaking of the A's, if you haven't yet, please check out my video called The ballot of the Oakland A's. I talk about the history of the team, the situation going on with their stadium right now. It's out there on YouTube. Haven't please check it out yet. Yeah, please subscribe. Yeah, please subscribe. Please, please subscribe today if you haven't. But moving on, we are gonna go to NL, uh, we're gonna go to the NL. We're gonna go to the NL. And We're gonna start off with the Mets. 75 and 41, 8 and 2 in the last 10. 35 and 22 at home. Despite uh, that blowout loss to Atlanta, they are 37 and 27 against teams above 500. So they should be able to get things right. This series should be interesting. Uh, I know this the first game uh, really looked, you know, devastating kind of. But I think you know the Mets might turn around and blow them out the next game. Who knows? 71 and 46. That is the record for the Braves right now. Four and a half games back. Seven game winning streak. Plus 109 run differential. Third best team OPS at 787. Uh, they also are second in slugging percentage. They are second in home run. About a, I think 148 right now. So, uh, you know, they all the right things offensively. But they're also a great pitching team as well. Up, you know, 16, 16 ERA, 3.61. So you can't say a whole lot of negative stuff about them right now. They're getting it done. Now, uh, behind them, uh, oh, actually, sorry. To the NL Central. I don't know why I'm skipping to the NL Central. I gotta get all these papers. Up I'm sorry. We have the Phillies here at 64 and 51, 73 in the last 10. Behind them we have the Miami Marlins 51 and 65, and the Nationals. Thank God I'm not a fan. Well, I am somewhat of this team. I got family out there. God damn, 38 and 78. I don't want to be the birds from the baseball though. They are right now. It is what it is. Let's move out to the central. We have the Cardinals here at 63 and 51. 7 and 3 in the last 10. Just enough to get two games up on the Milwaukee Brewers, who are 61 and 53. The Cubs are way far behind them. 50, 50 sorry, 57. I don't know I'm keep saying 50. But 47 and 67. The Reds are 45 and 69. And the Pirates are 45 and 70. 18 and a half games back for Stuart L. More, let's go on to the end of West. We have the Dodgers, the, Kings, the, C- the cream of the crop, the best of the best right now. 80 at 34, 91 the last 10, the best OPS and best uh, And what they you yeah. know. I have nothing negative to say. Plus 251, run differential, the best in Major League Baseball. I'm not going to say nothing cynical this year. I think they have think the best. The best opportunity amongst anybody to go do it. I think everybody jumps on the moves that San Diego made. Everybody was, you know, really harping on what New York was doing. Their hot starts. Of course, they had one of the best records in the league for, uh, you know, a pretty long while this season. But, you know, the Dodgers, they never, you know, they never succumbed to the pressure. They stayed consistent. And look at them now. 37-17 and 17 versus teams above 500, including that win tonight, that shutout win tonight, mind you over the 60 plus win brewers so hey gotta look at it for what it is the padres 65 and 53 of course uh, they recently got some drama with fernando Jr., you know, one of their stars he's gonna be missing 80 games because he was caught with a you know a banned substance what was he doing with the bad substance who knows but he's been on rehab trying to heal up the AAA because he recently was in a accident, a motorcycle accident uh, you know, back in his hometown in the Dominican Republic that, you know injured his wrist, he had to get surgery so he's just been taking some weird you know, he's been making not the best decisions right now, he hasn't been making the best decisions right now, and it's, you know, it's affecting his playing time, of course, he had his quote to say, of course, the general manager, A.J. Preller, came back with, we want to see some maturity, of course I'm paraphrasing, but, you know they're talking about they seeing these patterns, and you know, for what it's worth, you know a 9 to fiver you know, he makes these little brash or these little inconsistent or these uh, sorry, inconsiderate decisions at j- his job. He can get fired, he can get let go. Tatis Jr is a very is in a very different situation cuz he's getting 34 million dollars or sorry, 34 million but 340 million dollars over the course of 14 years. It's a different type of investment. So of course, we're not going to be, you know, quick to let him go, but at the same time it's like they want him to get his shit together because, you know, there's so much on the line you know and so much what they want to do so uh they were smart getting as as many you know players active players that they could now for this you know you know, for, you know, that trade with Soto, they brought in also Drury, uh, Brandon Drury. They also got in, uh what's his name, Josh Bell to go along with Soto. So, you know, they they were smart. San Diego was smart for bringing in those extra offensive players because they're going to be missing a good bat right now. And it's it's kind of a shame, but uh Tatis Jr. can make better decisions. We all can. It's no judgment here because I've been there, done that. I've made those decisions that make people think that there's a pattern with me or look to, you know, it, it's how about it's about how it looks, and it you know uh, the the decision. Uh, well, apparently according to you know Tatis Jr., he didn't know what he was doing or what he was using. It was some type of I want to say I don't want to know. I don't want to say it was well. It had to have been a cream or something because he's saying he was using it for some medication for some ringworm. And and mind you, I haven't had wingworm since a child. But even then, I did I I don't even know or could begin to tell you what's even in the shit. I don't know if there's any type of you know ingredients that could be considered a steroid. I don't know Uh, But again It's just Those decisions That you have to You have to figure that out And do that research Before you get caught up with it Or you know Figure it out And not get caught up with it That's what i mean to say So you know Maybe his father Who's a professional Who was a professional Tati Sr. Can sit down And talk to him Uh, You know I don't think anybody else Is to really baby him Or chastise him It ain't nobody else's job Because he's a grown man So he has to kind of have Definitely have some type Of self accountability But you know I'm pretty sure, you know, his dad is somewhere, you know, in his ear, like, hey, son, you know, get it, get it right, get it right. But moving on, we have the Giants here, 57 and 57, 23 games back for them, six and four in the last 10, three wins in a row. Uh, You know, they are sort of in this wild card race. I don't know what to make of it right now. They're they don't really they're. Twenty-four and thirty-four against teams above five hundred. I don't see how much how much viability that they have, but technically they're kind of still in that wild card race. Time will tell. The Diamondbacks 53 and 61. And rounding out the bottom of the NL West, we have the Rockies at 51 and 66. Let's take a look at the wild card. We have the Mariners here at 63 and uh, 54. Like I said, 6 and 4 in the last 10, 33, 32 and 28 away from home. Of course, they are in the midst of that series against Los Angeles. And that should go pretty easy for them because they suck. The team that they're facing off against. Sucks. Let's just be honest. We have the Rays here at sixty-one and fifty-three, and also the Blue Jays tied for that second place spot. Moving on to the National League, we have the Braves here at 70, 71 and forty-six. We have the Phillies here at sixty-four and fifty-one. Eleventh in team OPS, eighth in RBIs with five ten. They also are sixth in slogan percentage with a four eighteen, and of course they are eighth in team ERA with a three point seven two. And that is indicative of all the teams who are legit, you know, you know, legit. Pushing for you know a real realistic playoff spot. Not sure Chicago White Sox is. Uh, you know if you're if you're close to top ten in your OPS and your ERA, you're doing something. You are pro- You might you you have a decent shot at making it. You know, that's my opinion. Uh, we have the Padres here, uh, 65 and 53, four and six in the last ten, 28 and 32 against teams above 500. So again, they're still struggling there. But one good thing, the one silver lining is Juan Soto. He is doing his thing since arriving. 350 average, 480 on base, 550 slugging with a 1030 OPS. He has a home run, just three RBIs in the limited time. But he's gonna get his this stuff right. He's gonna get his act right too, and he scored nine runs. So again. Yeah. <laughs> they made a good they made a good pickup with that Uh, again they have josh bell to go along with him and brandon drury so again even without you know uh, your boy tatis with all those guys and you know manny machado they also got a decent uh decent closer in a trade with the brewers i believe his name is josh Hader. they should be all right they should be okay Uh, you know but let's move on before we wrap everything up i wanted to go over the hall of fame induction ceremony i missed it it was a few weeks ago but I wanted to go over it because it's important that we uh, give time to give reverence to the legends of the game particularly when they've been solidified to that status. So for this year, the inductees included David Ortiz, Tony Oliva, Jim Cat, Gil Hodges, Manny Munoz, and also Buck O'Neill, as well as uh, Bud Fowler. Now, uh, we already know about Ortiz. Over 1,700 RBIs, 500 home runs, Royal Series MVP. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the Cats that you might not know, like Buck O'Neal who was a first baseman and a manager for the Negro Leagues, a two-top all-star for the Kansas City Monarchs. And after his retire, uh, after he retired as a player, excuse me, he go on to become one of the first black scouts and the first one of the first black coaches in Major League Baseball. Also uh, was responsible for signing another black legend, Ernie Banks, to his first contract. Up next, we have Arrestus, a.k.a. mini he joined the Negro Leagues in 1946 and was a two-time All-Star as well at third base with the New York Cubans. and he was one of the first Latin Americans to play in the MLB. Yosso was a seven-time All-Star, uh, making four straight appearances from 1951 to 1954, as well as in 1957 with back-to-back appearances in 1959 and 1960. He was a three-time Golden Glove winner. He was a stolen base leader three times. and He will retire in 1964 and will become a man in Mexico until 1973, but this is the thing though. He would come back and uh, he would become a coach for the White Sox, but he would make two appearances as a player and would become one of the uh, come the third pl- third person 50 or over to score a hit in the MLB game. Eventually, his number no, his number nine would be retired in 1983, and at some point, he would be enshrined into the Mexican and the Cuban Hall of Fame as well. So moving on, we have Gil Hodges, a first baseman for the Mets and the Dodgers from 19 1943 to 1963, he would go on to become a manager for the Senators, a former team in Washington, D.C. and also in Washington, D.C. Excuse me, and the Mets from 1963 to '71, leading them to a World Title in 1969, and they were called the Miracle Mets that season because they had never, uh, never even sniffed at over 60 games in a season up until that point. They won 100 games that season. Also, they end up winning the World Series. As a player, uh, Hodges was an eight-time all-star three-time world series champion he even scored four home runs in one game without extra innings the only other player to do that was Lou Gehrig so again great player great uh, coach or great manager and uh, his life was cut short unfortunately he did pass away I believe shortly after retirement or even as uh even still as an active manager i'm not 100 sure but this was awarded to him posthum- posthumously i believe that's how he pronounced it but up next we have bud fowler uh one of the first black men to play professional baseball back in the 1800s 1877 to be exact to 1904 now of course they bring up you know, either Jackie Robinson for the NL uh, back with the Dodgers, or Larry Doby for the American League. But we're talking about before there was a Mer- before there was a Major League Baseball, American League or National League. So we're talking about way before then. You know, around that time, uh, but again, before you know. Again, like I said, before those two. And uh, he eventually started his career at the age of 14. Uh, he would end up playing with teams in Pennsylvania and Chelsea, Massachusetts before relocating to the Midwest to play for teams in Ohio, even as far down as uh, Colorado. He would eventually form uh, a team with other Negro uh, Negro League players and some white investors. And like I said, they would, jo- they would form their own team called the Page Fence Giants based out of Michigan. They will go on and go on Tours around the country facing off against other, you know, MLB teams at the time, if you want to call them that, or pro baseball teams, uh, mostly all-white teams and uh, the cool part about his story was that he would only spend about a season or so on many of these teams because the racial tension was so high that they just they just weren't able to keep him there just be so much drama with him having you know having a job there and eventually he will become a manager for some of these teams as well but again first black man uh, first back black man to play professional baseball first black man to become a manager that is your boy Bud Fowler and then finally we have Tony Oliva he was an outfielder who spent 15 seasons with the Minnesota Twins from 1962 to 1976, an eight-time All-Star, a Rookie of the Year for the AL in 1964, a Golden Glove winner in 1966, and a three-time batting champ. He would also go on to uh, retire as a player and use his expertise—expertise, uh, expertise, excuse me—to go on and help the Twins win World Series titles in 1986, sorry, 1987, and 1991. Back then, they had hitters like Kirby Puckett, and were one of the top offenses teams. Uh, in that era and I had no idea he was a part of that so it's always good to learn about the the legends of the game like I said their impact what they did what they were all about because again it gives you more knowledge again I had no idea some these guys ever resisted some of them and for others I learned even more about them through you know the extra research that something like this uh calls upon you so again uh I'm going to take a quick break though when we come back we have an NFL update I hope you guys are enjoying everything so far So we are back. I'm going to get into my NFL update. To start off with the headlines from around the league, starting off with the Dolphins, yes, uh, they've gotten themselves into some trouble. Uh, they've been stripped of their 2023 first round draft pick. This is after a six month investigation that found out that team owner Stephen Ross and vice chairman Bruce Pearl violated the anti tampering policy three separate times with uh, convos with Tom Brady and Sean Payton, uh, also with Brady's agent Don E. Now, You know, we've talked about this before. Um, I took the stance of any team is going to do this. Um, And I personally feel the same way. I think, you know, low-key, a lot of teams are doing this. They just happen to have all this drama with them that got, you know, revealed and exposed due to uh, Brian Flores and what his issue is. Uh, But there was no, uh, but there there ended up not being any evidence to support his claim that there was some type of tanking. So you have that going on there. But as far as the tampering is concerned, my feeling is this, I mean, I really don't know how to really truly feel about it because how else are you going to be talking to these players? How else are you going to express interest or a player is going to, you know, be able to express that interest in you? Who do you talk to? Is there somebody? Do you not talk to anybody? Uh, I understand that there's a certain period that this might go down. I would have to look more into that. But at the same time, it just seems to me, you know, talking to these guys and having a perspective conversation with what, I mean, this is what business, I mean, outside of, well, any other business, uh, you know, part of the business world, you're having these type of business discussions before, you you know, you sign on the dotted line. So I don't know why a player can't do that with a team at a certain point or be free to do that whenever. Um, it's kind of weird to me that this is a problem. It, uh, obviously, uh, there was some more stuff going on with the Dolphins about what uh, the positions they might want to put uh, Peyton, and there was some talk about that, and maybe Brady as well, I believe. Uh, some type of other stuff that they want to hook him up with. But again, I mean, uh, th- those conversations, or, you know, those. I, I feel like they're already being had, and again, you know, we're we're trying to the NFL, not us, but the NFL is trying to, you know, find somebody to make a, a villain outside of Dan Snyder right now, and I'm very confused as to why they haven't, you know, got him yet. They got they got the Dolphins caught up, they got everything, you know, they could out of you know John Gruden, but Dan Snyder is still around. Why? And we know what he's what he's been doing, but we somehow we're still investigating him okay whatever um you know moving on from that uh they also will give up a third round pick in the 2024 draft stephen ross has been fined 1.5 million dollars excuse me which is just a fine on the wrist uh sorry a slap on the wrist excuse me and it's suspended throughout the season so there you go that is the end result i mean if miami still makes the playoffs this year does it really matter? If they... That's an if. Now, there's a chance that they could, but I'm just saying, you know, and, you know, if they do, I mean, does all this really matter? Hey, I don't think so. Let's move on. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about, you know what, before we get into the positive, let's talk a little bit about these uh, crazy stories that we've had over the past couple of days referring to our former running back. Starting off with your boy, Marshawn Lynch, uh, He was le- arrested in Las Vegas on a DUI charge, was apprehended near Fairfield and Utah Avenue. Uh, basically, his wheel was gone, a tire was missing, of course, he's inebriated. And I saw the pictures, you know, I'm not going to go too much on that because they could have called him at the wrong time. They could have called him (laughs) blink. I'm going to try to give him the benefit of the doubt. But it it was a bad look. Uh, But he also, like I said, he has a driving under influence charge. Uh, He also is uh, being charged with not showing his license and driving a vehicle that's not registered. These are all issues, of course. And uh, failure... Uh, to travel in the, uh, you know, the actual driving lane, These there's points where he was driving all off on the on the curb. Now, uh, you know, they have, you know, body cam footage, them pulling him out the car, so on and so forth. You know, he's set to appear in court in December of this year. Now, he also was arrested in Oakland on a DUI charge as well. I didn't really go into the ins and outs of that one, because it was a while ago, 2012. Um, but the thing about this situation here, and I'm gonna pose this question to y'all: Do y'all think he has an issue with this? Because you know, and this is out of love and respect, you know, because you know we've seen these couple situations. Like he, we just mentioned, he had a DUI situation in, in 2012. He has this situation right here. I've heard him, you know, talk about drinking and driving multiple times, and just drinking in general. You know, he's a great athlete. But, uh, you know, we're not, we're not perfect, we're not human, and we face these issues. And, you know, drinking is a strong vice. I've been there, done it. My early 20s was wasted to drinking on weekends. You know, uh, there's plenty of weekends that I could have started this podcast or a YouTube channel or, you know, c- took, you know, something seriously, and I didn't because I was out, you know, trying to t- t- chase that dragon, you know, so to speak. And, you know, when you've, I've heard him speak on this and, you know, it seems to be like a cavalier, you know, mindset about it, you know, even, even, you know, in terms of drinking and driving, like, yeah, you know, I saw this little uh, excerpt with him and Kevin Hart and this is cold because it had to have been a day or two, maybe two max before this situation happened and he's, you know, Talking to Kevin, talking about, yeah, I was a little bit late, and I got in the car, and I did this, and I had to go to this part of the town. And, of course, Kevin's being funny. He's trying to translate it. You know how that old, you know, uh, you know how, you know, certain motherfuckers with vernacular, depending on where they are, you know, there's always a goofy black dude that feels like they have to break it down for other people to understand, of course. That's that's how it go. But it just was so funny because, like I said, too, well, not even funny because, really, he could have died in a situation like this. Let's keep it real. Uh, you being that inebriated to the point where you're driving off the curb. You don't even have a tire, bro. That's dangerous. So that's why I pose the question, is there a problem? Uh, You know, it's like with, you know, and, and you know, like with your boy, uh, Tatis, it's just a matter of decision making. It's not so much that I want to judge them as a person like they're an evil person because I, trust me, I drank too. I made stupid decisions, you know. I had, you know, people talk to me about, you know, decisions I made that looks like a pattern or things like that or how I need to become mature. So it's not about passing judgment because, again, you 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 you're living through somebody's situation, but you're just not. I'm not a millionaire. So, um, you know, maybe it's time for somebody like Marshawn to rein, rein it in. On the alcohol consumption. Now, weed is one thing. You want to smoke and get lit. That's one thing. I, you know, I'm not a proponent. I shouldn't even say that because, you know, I <laughs> ain't no telling who listening. But <laughs> nothing in driving. I'll say that right now. Don't do nothing in driving. <laughs> Um, on to uh, we are gonna move on from Marshawn. I hope he gets this stuff together. I don't think he's a bad person, mind you. I just think that alcohol is a serious issue that you know that sometimes we can't really uh, you know conquer. You know without something serious happening to change our you know perspective. Hopefully this is something that he can work through uh, because it has been it has been something that I've seen that he seems to be okay with it. This is kind of just you know what he does, and he got to be very careful with that. But uh, like I said, a former runner. Back is in the news for something negative as well. Frank Gore, he was charged with assault after a July 31 incident uh, with a woman at an Atlantic City hotel. And then, according to the court documents and reports, he will go on to drag this naked woman across the hallway to try to get her to a room. I'm guessing he's like, "I'm done with you. I don't want nothing to do with you. You some drama, but it's like some reverse caveman shit. I'm gonna take you back to your hut, your your cave." Um, I dude don't put dudes don't put hands on women obviously you know there's varying degrees you know i mean man um don't do it you know particularly i don't know what was going on that night what he got what happened to get him triggered uh of course we have your boy uh you know deshaun watson and you know he has his drama too you know these are there's various different levels and uh again I, i i you know I'm not gonna defend Deshaun. I think the best thing he like I said, he could have been ultra honest and transparent from the get go and knew who exactly what his audience was. And sometimes you don't even in, in in reality, you don't even just focus on that type of shit. When if it's about a massage, you just can't focus on it. Uh but clearly and clearly in this situation, this guy went above and beyond. You got really physical, confrontational. You just don't do that type of shit. That's just <clears throat> There's, that's really uncalled for. What Deshaun Watson did was like, uh, out of character. Oh, that's really creepy. Wow. Uh, wow. Get away. That that type of shit with Frank Gore. Oh, bro. Get on. Get on with that. Get, get some help. Talk to somebody. Counseling. Uh, he's set to make a court appearance in October. So, I hope these older running backs get it together. <clears throat> you know, particularly for, for Marshawn. Somebody that's really well known in this community. You know, I don't want him to to, you know, potentially have some type of fatal situation uh, in terms of that. And Frank Gore stay out of trouble keep your hands off them women don't be no big brute you know that's how they're gonna try to play you anyway alright now let's move on to some uh, well before we get into that uh, of course because the original the first priest in the game is the Hall of Fame game I think it should be right only right if I break down the Hall of Fame real quick for this year 2020 uh, up first we have offensive tackle Tony Pacelli who played his whole career just about with the Jaguars 1995 to 2000 and 2001 he would also go on to play for the Houston Texans uh, near the last part of his career. Five-time Pro Baller, uh, three-time first-team All-Pro, 90s All-Decade team behind him. You have a great Raiders legend here, wide receiver Cliff Branch, uh, played from 1972 to 1986, would pass away a couple years ago. So again, this is a posthumous award. Three-time Super Bowl champion with us, three-time first-team All-Pro, four-time Pro Baller. He would also uh, lead the league in receiving yards in 1974 and receiving touchdowns in 74 and 76. Uh, He would also uh, have the longest receiving touchdown at 99 yards. Moving on, we have a defensive player's safety, Leroy Butler, for the Packers. He would go on to play from 1990 to 2001 with a Super Bowl champion. First sorry first team All-Pro four times, four-time Pro Bowler, 90s All-Decade team. He would go on to establish the Lambeau Leap. You already know what that's about. Moving on, we got Sam Mills of the Saints. Uh, He would originally be drafted in 81, but he would find his way to the SFL, the USFL, I believe, Uh, for a little bit because of just, you know, just his abilities and trying to get his finest, navigate his way. But he would eventually find his way back in 86 and go on to play until 1994. He would also uh, have two well, with the Saints and have two more seasons with the Carolina Panthers from 95 to 97. He would go on to serve as a defensive assistant and a linebacker's coach for the Panthers as well. First team All-Pro in 1996, second team, two-time second team All-Pro and also a five-time Pro Baller. Up next, we have two defensive linemen Richard Seymour who paid for the Patriots and the Raiders and Bryant Young for the Warrior Niners. Uh, that's who he spent his entire career with, 1990, 1994 to 2007. For Seymour, uh, he will go on to win three Super Bowls, of course, with New England. Three-time first-team All-Pro between 2003 and 2005. Two-time second-team All-Pro and a seven-time Pro-Baller. For uh, Bryant Young, he's a Super Bowl champion as well. NFL Comeback Player of the Year for First-team uh, 1996 All-Pro, three-time second-team All-Pro, and a four-time Pro-Ball selection. And as far as head coaches are concerned, we got Dick Vermeil. <clears throat> Excuse me, who spent uh, time with the Eagles, the Rams, uh, and the Panthers. Uh, he was going to win the Super Bowl in 1999, was also the AP Coach of the Year. Of course, that was the team with you know the greatest show on turf, Kurt Warner, uh, Mark Marshall Falk, Tory Holt, those guys, all to have that, def- that defining moment he made by a player named Mike Jones. Ooh, yeah, you remember that. Also a two-time Sporting News Coach of the Year. So we got some good cats going in. I I, I definitely was a fan of all of them. Uh, Bryant Young was probably the first uh, Jerry Rice, you know, Tim Brown player that I ever got into just, you know, because I started to understand the game a little bit more uh, about defense and offense, what the positions were. Leroy and Butler the same, and that's because he has the same last name as me. I ain't gonna lie to you. Uh, But later on in life, I learned a lot about Sam Mills and the Dome Patrol out there, uh, winning a lot of games for the Saints in the 90s and stuff. And of course, Richard Seymour was right around my time. Uh, Excuse me. Didn't necessarily like Tom Brady. I hated him the most But I liked all the other players around him for some reason Richard Seymour being one of them So it is what it is Dick Vermeule same thing grew up watching him as well with that being said uh, Let's move on. We're gonna look at the uh, Hall of Fame game real quick The Raiders uh, they get a solid win in that one. Uh, they took on the Oh, excuse me They go ahead and take on Uh Oh trying to find my notes again Yeah, here we go. So the Raiders uh, in that Hall of Fame game, they go ahead and they get it done. Uh Uh-oh. There we go. <laughs> Done against the Jaguars. 27 to 11 is the final score. Uh, Kyle Stoller uh, will lead the way for the Jaguars. 13 of thir- 24, 127 yards. He would throw a touchdown pass. Uh, Makai M- 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 Sargent will lead the way on the ground. Just 22 rushing yards. Running back Nick Cutrell would have a receiving touchdown. And defensively, Arden Key would get you two sacks. For the Raiders, Jared Siddham, he got the start. Uh, going for 96 yards, uh, he would have a rushing touchdown. Nick Mullins would go 8 for 1172 yards, Zamir White will get you 52 yards. Austin Walter and Amir Abdullah will score on the ground, and uh, Tyron Johnson was the team's leading receiver for that game. Uh, he would have uh, two receptions for 39 yards, so not a whole lot for the Raiders offensively in this game. But again, they were able to score, at least in terms of yardage. Uh, linebacker Darian Butler would have five total tackles. Defensive tackle Kendall Vickers would go on to have a sack, and the Raiders would give up five sacks themselves and would have six penalties. So you know it's a little bit sloppy, but they would force a fumble and keep the Jack on uh, just 3 of 12 on third down. So they did do what they could do to pull off the win. I like that. So that's how we end up the first I guess technical week of the preseason. Uh, Well I guess you just call that week zero, just a Hall of Fame game. This is technically week one, I guess. First things first, we have the Patriots uh, taking an L here against the Giants, Uh, 21-23. Tyrod Taylor, excuse me, would lead the way for the Giants offensively, 13-21, 129 yards to the air. He would have a touchdown. Daniel Jones would go 6-10 for 69 yards. Antonio Williams, uh, he would have 61 yards on the ground for a touchdown. Colin Johnson would be a team's leading receiver. He would go on to have seven catches for 82 yards. Yards. Richie James would do his thing as well, 44 yards and a receiving touchdown to add to that. We have linebacker Austin Calitro with four total tackles and an interception, and defensive back Tristan Thompson who will come up with a sack for the Patriots. Bailey Zapp, their new rookie uh, that they acquired out of Western Kentucky, had a solid performance 19 to 32, 205 yards. He would throw a touchdown, but he would also throw a pick. Brian Hoyer would throw a rushing touch, sorry, would throw a passing touchdown as well, and Kevin Harris would score on the ground. Christian Walker will be the team's leading receiver with four catches, 99 yards, and also uh, well, just four catches, and 99 yards, and Jordan Humphrey. I know they want to call him Lil' Jordan. I'm going to call him Big Jordan. I don't I don't call no grown man Lil'. I just can't do it out of respect. So six receptions for your man, Jordan. Uh, six receptions, 62 yards, and a touchdown, and Tyler uh, Sire, Tyquan Thornton, will come up with a receiving touchdown as well. On defense, uh, safety, uh, Jalen Elliott, Elliott would have eight total tackles, and Joshua Uche. Would have a sack. Up next, we have the Ravens. Uh, they get a win here against the Titans, 23 to 30, 23 to 10. For the Titans, Logan Woodside would go 14 of 24 for 102 yards in the air. He would throw two picks. Malik Willis, uh, he had a solid, okay performance in this first matchup here. Uh, 6 for 11, 107 yards, 38 rushing yards, and he would score there. Racy McMath will lead the way through the—well, at least lead the way through receiving uh, four catches— sorry. I don't know how many catches he got, but he would have 48 yards. And Terry Godwin will get you four catches for 31 yards. Linebacker David Anier will be the team's uh, will, will, will do his thing on defense with two sacks. And for the Ravens, Tyler Huntley would have would go 16 to 18 for 109 yards and a touchdown. Anthony Brown, who last played with the Ducks last season, he had a solid performance as well, 10 to 15, 117 yards. Mike Davis will score on the ground, and Shamar Bridges will be the team's leading receiver, uh, four catches, 62 yards he would score. Defensive back there, Warley will get an interception and linebacker uh Stephen McCann's, I uh, sorry, Stephen Means will get a sack as well. So let's move on to Friday's action. Uh, we have the Packers getting it done against sorry, the Niners getting it done against the Packers 28 to 21. Jordan Love's those three picks in that game. It wasn't. It wasn't a good sight. Uh, B.J. Bell will be the team's leading receiver with two receptions and 75 yards. Romeo Dobbs and also Danny Davis would have receiving touchdowns. And also defensively, linebacker Kobe Jones would get four total tackles and a sack for the Niners. Nate Subfield will get the start, going eight for 11, 103 yards. He would throw a touchdown. Trey Lance will go four or five. He will get himself 92 yards and a touchdown. And the running game wasn't that bad. We have Jamarcus, uh, sorry, Jamichael Hasty. Uh, leading away pretty much on the ground, 36 rushing yards, but he would have 7.2 yards per carry, so not so bad there. Uh, Danny Gray would be the team's leading receiver. He would have 99 yards and a, two, sorry, two catches for 99 yards and a touchdown. Ray Ray McLeod would score as well. And defensively, Marcelino McCray. Marcelina McCray-Ball will get an interception, and Dante Johnson will get a sack. We had the Jets beating the Eagles. Uh, Zach Wilson didn't look that good. He threw a pick, but he worried about people's mamas. It is what it is. It's, it is preseason. No people gonna tell me it's just preseason. He's a, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, if he leads the team to the playoffs, then he's amazing. If he's just fucking other people's mamas, then he's that's any other guy. Uh, you know, we have uh, Reed stent. He will go nine and seven foot nine and seventeen for the Eagles. He would throw a touchdown pass. Uh, Dallas go- Dallas Goddard, excuse me, and rookie Kennedy Brooks at the running back spot would uh, score some touchdowns, some receiving uh, touchdowns, and uh, Kaizen White will pull up with an interception. Uh, Reed Blankenship would have seven total tackles for the Eagles. Like I said, they will come up short, though, 24-21. to uh, Tenzel Smart will come up with two sacks for the Jets. Uh, they will also force five total sacks. So that's, I mean, the Jets seem to have some solid defense with them. The problem is, what's up with that old line? Makai Beckton gets hurt again. I think he's out for the whole season. Damn. Um. Up next, we have the Colts. They get it done against the Bills, twenty-seven to twenty-four. We have the Steelers. They get a win here against the uh, Seahawks, thirty-two to twenty-five. And the Dolphins. They get a win here against the Buccaneers, twenty-six to twenty-four. Skyler or Sklar Thompson for the for the sorry for the Dolphins goes twenty of twenty-eight, two hundred eighteen yards, very impressive. He would have a touchdown, uh, twenty-five yards on the ground. Uh, Lynn Bowden Jr. will be the team's leading receiver. He would have three catches for fifty-five yards and a touchdown. Defensive back. Elijah Campbell will get a pick, and so will linebacker Darius Hodge. For the Buccaneers, Kyle Trash will get the start. He will go 25 of 33, 258 yards. He would throw a touchdown. He would throw a pick. Blaine Gabbert will go 5 of 5 for 56 yards and a touchdown. Keyshawn uh, Vaughn will score on the ground, and wide receiver Tyler Johnson will be the team's leading receiver with six catches and 73 yards. But Jared Stearns and uh, Jalen Darden will both score uh, catching passes. Now, linebacker Cam Gill would have a sack, and so would Anthony. Anthony so with linebacker Anthony Nelson. Moving on, we got the Saints getting a win here against the Texans 13 to 17. The the Rams get a win against the Chargers 29 to 20. We also got the Broncos here. They get a win against the Cowboys 17 to 7. For the Boys, Cooper Rush would go 20 of 20 for 84 yards. He would throw a pick. Ben DiNucci, their favorite backup, would go to 9-16, he would score. Uh, Malik Davis would have 50 51 rushing yards, 6.4 yards for carry. We have wide receiver Simi. Uh, for Choco, he will get a receiving touchdown in defensive back. And mind you, the season just started. I'm going to get his name. I, I'm going to get that pronunciation just right. So my bad. Defensive back Nashawn Wright will get seven total tackles for the Broncos. I mean, you know, 16-23 to 23 from Josh Johnson. 172 yards, two touchdowns. Kendall Hinton, he's not playing quarterback today. Uh, well, he didn't play quarterback Saturday, so he did a decent job. Three catches for fifty-three yards and a touchdown. And Seth Williams will get a receiving touchdown as well. Uh, PJ Locke will get an interception, and Baron Browning sorry Baron Browning will get a sack at the linebacker spot. And of course, Sunday the Raiders get it done against the Vikings, twenty-six to twenty. I'm a happy person. Uh, we have Kellen though. Doing this thing through the air, I still think that the Raiders have some questions to answer for their uh, secondary. 9 of 14, 119 yards from him, two touchdowns. Uh, we have a, a 50 rushing yards from Ty Chandler. Albert Wilson would catch two touchdown uh, passes. And we have linebacker Troy Dye getting six total tackles. And defensive tackle Ty McGill getting two sacks. So, you know, again, it's you can obviously get to our quarterbacks. That's uh, That hasn't been addressed just yet. But anyways, for the Raiders, Jared Sittum goes 10-15 for 68 yards. He would have a rushing touchdown. Nick Mullins goes 7-9 for 94 yards and a touchdown. And Britton Brown would have 54 yards and and a touchdown as well. In the air, well, our leading receiver was wide receiver DJ Turner, DJ Turner, who would have three catches for 58 yards and a touchdown. Linebacker Darian Butler would have five total tackles and defensive ends. Malcolm Kuntz and Deshaun Butler, well, sorry, Deshaun Bowler would both come up with sacks. So there we go. The end of the first season, sorry, the first week of the preseason. Uh, we've had some great highlights. The Raiders have come up with two wins in the preseason and so forth. I like that. And uh, as far as the baseball world is concerned, we've had a new Hall of Fame uh, inductee class. So, the same thing with the NFL. So, congratulations to those guys. As far as the next episode is concerned, I need to come back to the NFL. There's some c- topics I need that I did miss here today. Uh, we I wanted to touch up on Antonio Brown. He supposedly wants to come back. He wants to play for the Cowboys. Tom Brady has been MIA and some off-season stuff going on right now the past few days I gotta figure out what's going on with that of course we got news on the international and the national front we got to get into and I did not get into that review of Eminem's diss track uh, sorry the games this track towards eminem so we got to get into that as well all right y'all if you're looking to keep in touch with me i will be leaving you my link to my instagram and if you haven't yet please be sure to subscribe and uh to my youtube channel never out of bounds the same name if you haven't yet all right y'all if anybody hasn't told you yet i love you peace out one love and i'll let you guys later